Welcome back, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. As always, I welcome your questions, your comments, and suggestions at carlareadstheclassics at gmail.com. And now, let's jump back into the money. Segment 22. One afternoon in the middle of August, their president introduced a new project. It was one that, evidently from his careful presentation of it, he had been thinking about for some time, for he spoke as if from sound planning. He brought it up with the regulation question, Do you know something? And waited for them to ask what, which they did. George kicked one of their chairs. We call these boxes chairs, but we've been fooling ourselves from the start. They aren't chairs at all. They're wooden boxes. They aren't so bad, said Henny. They're all right, said Paul. I don't see what's the matter with them, said Gracie. They're as good as chairs, said Joey. No, they aren't, George held. They aren't as good as chairs at all, because, like I said, they aren't chairs, but boxes. And they're hard. You sit on one for a couple of hours and you feel it. With this, they could agree. So far, they had kept one ear and both eyes on the TV. But now they gave him a glance or two to see what he was getting at. What I mean, George went on, is that I think we ought to have a change. He appeared as if he wanted to continue, but he stopped and looked at them to see if they had any ideas. What kind of change? asked Gracie. He means regular chairs, said Paul. He turned to George. Isn't that it? That's it, George said. You've got the same idea I had. Strangely, he didn't object this time to Paul's equaling his idea. Henny guessed it would be better. Joey was sure it would be. Gracie glanced around the candle-lighted clubhouse with the woman's decorator eye and said, Straight-backed ones, with cane bottoms, like our dining room, would be good. George spoke quickly. I wasn't thinking of straight backs. I think we ought to be more comfortable. What's the matter with a good upholstered armchair? They didn't think there was anything the matter with a good upholstered armchair. They pictured themselves in the clubhouse, all sitting comfortably before the TV in good upholstered armchairs. No one brought up the question of their possibly costing a lot. That consideration was no longer anything to worry about. They had found they could spend fairly sizable amounts and nothing came of it, and they were sure their their luck would hold. Gracie, having deserted straight-back cane bottoms as in her dining room at home, remembered, I saw some in the furniture store over on Grand Avenue, down the block from the hills. They're in the window. George nodded quickly. Just the place I was thinking of. I went by there the other day and happened to look in the window there, too. George continued, What I think we ought to do, though, is to get only one right away. I mean, if we decide to get them in the first place, and there's a couple of reasons for this, we'd better try one out to see how we'll like it and how it looks. Also, it wouldn't be good to bring more than one in at a time. We couldn't have them delivered, but we'd have to get them in in a way I've thought of. He asked Joey, You still got your kid's wagon? A bit resentfully, the way he had taken to replying to George, Joey said, It's in our garage. We can carry it on that and cover it up with the sheet. 
The question of cost came up now, but only as a secondary consideration, solely because of the necessity of deciding on an amount to take from the box. George cleared his throat and said, I think $135 would be enough. We can take it out while Joey's getting his cart. Joey's objection to this was vociferous. No, you won't. When we're all around, we don't take the money out without all seeing. For Pete's sake, George exclaimed. We'll be here to watch each other, said Paul. And who'll watch all of you, Joey wanted to know. Henny pointed out to Joey, you yourself took money out all alone. And I paid for it, Joey reminded them. Plenty. If you take it out without me, I ought to get forty whacks at all your bare bottoms. He shot a glance at George, with some extra ones, too. Gracie admitted, I guess he's got a point there. With Joey still present, the box was dug up. The withdrawal made, the seals dripped on, $208,580.25 entered on the books, and the box buried again. Only then did Joey depart to get his wagon. While he was gone, they locked the clubhouse and waited for him outside. Gracie carried the sheet. He appeared pulling his little red wagon, and with Joey dragging this behind him, they walked in a body over to Grand Avenue. In the window of the large furniture store, here they looked at the upholstered armchairs. Gracie pointed to a rather small, narrow chair, done in garden, done in green, and said, That's a good one. George cleared his throat again. It's all right, but it hasn't got much padding in it. If we're going to be comfortable, we might as well be real comfortable. He pointed to a considerably larger chair, almost overstuffed, done in bright, brilliant blue. Henny gave his opinion first. That's a gasser. Blue, said Gracie dubiously. When I get mine, I want it to be green. Generously, George said, everybody can have any color they want. Paul, peering in the window at the blue chair, said, It's kind of big. George defended it. To get any kind of real comfort, you've, you've got to have plenty of padding. Joey noticed a small sign set near one foot of the chair. It says $135. Quickly again, George said, I noticed it the other day. When they entered the store... With Joey hauling his cart with him, it turned out that George had done more than previously see the chair and notice the price. A clerk, a pleasant-looking young woman, came up to them, obviously recognizing George, greeted him, and said, I see you've come back for the chair you picked out. At this, the other musketeers glanced at George, who explained, I just stopped in. The young lady clerk led them over to an identical blue chair to the one in the window and told them, You've made a very good choice. George told her, I guess we'll take it. As though not to make further question of it or go through the routine of being asked again if they had the money, George produced it immediately. The young lady showed no surprise but took it and made out a sales slip, saying at the same time, I think it's wonderful of you children to save your money to buy your aunt a chair. Four of the children looked astonished at their being wonderful in this manner. The fifth hissed at the floor. I had to say something. The young lady clerk did not show the same understanding about the method of delivery. When she said the trucks... 
the store's truck would take the chair to whatever address they gave her, she seemed disturbed at being refused and shown Joey's wagon. She looked doubtfully at this, but when her customers insisted they could take it on the wagon, George explaining they wanted to surprise their aunt themselves, she called several men. The men looked even more dubious, but went along indulgently. Advising that the wagon had better be first taken out to the street before they loaded the chair on it. This was done, and the big blue chair balanced precariously, sort of half on one side. Gracie covered it with the sheet. It took both Henny and Paul to pull it, and George, Gracie, and Joey to walk alongside, holding and balancing it so that it would not fall off. Their luck held in not running into anyone in the hills on the Oxford Road route they decided to take this time in preference to Piccadilly. Henny's house was the only one of their families they had to pass, and fortunately, his mother was out, the main reason they chose Oxford. When they arrived on Coventry, opposite the clubhouse, they managed to pull their load over the curb and across the sidewalk, though once it nearly fell off. But when they hit the dirt on the other side, the weight bogged down the small wagon wheels, and they couldn't move it. From there, with all of them hoisting, they carried the chair the rest of the way. At the door of the clubhouse, when it opened, they faced the worst problem of all. At first, it didn't seem possible that the chair would ever go through the narrow doorway. It was wider than the doorway to begin with, which they found when, all lifting, they tried to get it through that way. They put it down, puffing, and tried it sideways. Still, it stuck. They studied the situation. Disaster loomed large before them. Desperately, his brow furled. George figured, I think it'll go, he said, if we put the top in first and turn it around inside and then work the rest in. They lifted once more. Gracie and Joey went in with the top. The chair stuck. Turn around, turn it more to one side in there, called George outside with Henny and Paul holding up the heaviest part of the chair. They followed directions. The chair went in more. It almost went, but not quite. We'll have to shove, advised George. They shoved, and suddenly it slipped through. They set it down inside, panting. The former kind of chairs were put to one side and the big new one placed on the same spot as the president's previous chair had occupied, though it had to go slightly back of this because of its size. It still covered the place where the money box was buried. It'll be hard digging up the box, Henny objected. No, it won't, George differed. We won't have to pick up the chair every time, but just lay it on its side, and it covers it a lot better. There was one other very real objection. The chair was so large it became obvious at once that there was no room for any more of such size chairs in the clubhouse. There was room for the former kinds of chairs of the other members, but only for one of the kind the president now possessed. They saw this at once and turned on their president. There won't be room for our armchairs. You'll be the only one to have one. We'll still have the other kind. You knew all along. No, I didn't. You planned it like this. I didn't know it would turn out this way, George denied. It's too bad, but it can't be helped. His sorrow did not reach to the extent of telling them that they could sit in the blue armchair part of the time, and he would not repress, and he could not repress a slight smile as though laughing at them.
He picked up a Coke bottle, uncapped it, and drank. Paul had spoken in heat with the others. Now he spoke more quietly. You did plan it, he accused George. You went to the store and picked it out before you ever said anything about us getting chairs. You knew how much it would cost, and we took that amount. You made up the story about buying it for our aunt. You'd said we'd only get one right away because you knew the clubhouse wouldn't hold more than the size of the one you wanted. I tell you, it wasn't that way. It was, belligerently, George demanded. Are you calling me a liar? Yes. What? Tightly, Paul stated. Yes, I'm calling you a liar. Nobody calls me a liar. I do. Well, you'd better just shut up. I won't shut up. You'd better if you know what's good for you. You're a liar. George, a black look on his face, put down his only half-emptied Coke bottle with a bang on one side of the chairs and challenged, Come outside and say that. For answer... Paul strode out of the clubhouse and stood in front of it. George followed him. The others ran after them, Gracie protesting. You can't fight, cried Henny. You can lick him, Paul, advised Joey. George told Paul, say it again. Paul, his face slightly pale, said, you're a liar. Judge George swung before the last word was out. He caught Paul on the cheek and sent him back, staggering. He followed up fast, but Paul was ready for him when he reached him, his fist up in more of a professional boxing style than George's. He parried George's second blow and landed one himself. Gracie cried, Stop it! But they paid no attention. Joey jumped with delicious excitement. Henny hollered, Hit him! And though it wasn't absolutely clear which he meant to hit the other, it might have been Paul he meant to do the hitting. They fought, dancing in the dirt. George took Paul's blows, but didn't seem much bothered by them. Though once he was rocked, he kept swinging and then landed again, solidly. Paul went down. He got up, groggy, and held his fists feebly. George started in for the kill, but Gracie jumped between them. Stop it! Stop it! You've got to stop! George cried. I'll show him who's a liar. You were a liar, Gracie informed him peremptorily. Let us alone, Paul told her. No, I won't let you alone. Let him fight, advised Henny. Paul will take him, said Joey. Gracie told them all, we can't fight like this. Somebody will come along and see. There isn't anyone, said George. Let us alone, Paul told her again. Desperately, Gracie argued, it's time for Mr. McGill to come. He'll see you and stop and investigate. He might find out more than he did before. He might find out about the money. This made them look down the street for the patrol car. So stop and come back inside, Gracie ordered. With Paul and George glaring at each other, they returned inside the clubhouse. The door was shut and the candle lighted. They all stood for a moment indecisively. Hate come among them. George took up his coke again and flung himself into his new, blue, good, comfortable armchair and ordered Henny, Turn on the TV. Henny made no move to do so. Turn it on, George ordered, to Channel 4. There's a program I want to see. Without a word, Henny turned it on. The set warmed up and the program came on.
George sat like a tribal chieftain on his throne, viewing a performance offered by his people in homage to him. The others took to what now were no longer chairs, but wooden boxes again, to one side and partially in back of George's new chair. Paul sat nursing one cheek. At that moment, their president was not a popular one. They were furious with him, but they sensed that they could not afford to quarrel among themselves, that it was too dangerous. The money restricted them in this regard. Because of it, they could not have a decisive fistfight among themselves. The power of the money had curious effects they had never before anticipated. That brings us to the end of segment 22. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.